0: We are going to be talking uh, a bit about Saul and his life and how he was figuring things out. Usually, when we think about the Apostle Paul, his first name Saul, uh, we we think of someone who who was really the great apostle of the Mediterranean basin. This is someone who evangelized churches, who who wrote numerous books of the New Testament, who was really kind of as we read him, you know, he was inspired. He was someone who had it all together. But even Saul, when he was starting out, really had his own problems, really had to figure things out and needed the, the help of the community around him we're going to take a look at Saul's life here in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So we're Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, and we're Acts chapter 14, 8 through 18. And it's going to seem a little bit like a bizarre passage. It's going to, If you read this, you may have the exact thought that I had when I was reading this passage and trying to prepare for the week, which is, what do you get out of this? And so... We're going to read these passages, but I'm going to suggest uh, that there are three things that we can learn from this uh, today, and and there's more than three things. I have a a list of things that I have jotted down, but here are the three things that I want us to look at today in Paul's experience. One is that faith is found in Jesus' inbreaking, in Jesus' work. Two is that mission is found in the context of prayer, and three is that commissioning doesn't ensure short-term successes. So faith is found in Jesus' inbreaking. Mission is found in the context of prayer, and commissioning doesn't ensure so- short-term success. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 13: 1 through three and 14:8 8 through18. Hear God's word as I share it with you. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas. Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. <clears throat> now Paul is going to have a few experiences. He's going on his first missionary journey. And we're towards the earth end of his first missionary journey when we pick up in 14.8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they didn't know Lyconian. "'They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, "'shouting, "'Friends, why are you doing this? "'We, too, are only human, like you. "'We are bringing you good news, "'telling you to turn from these worthless things "'to the living God, "'who made the heavens and the earth "'and the sea and everything in them. "'In the past, he let all nations go their own way. "'Yet he has not left himself without testimony. "'He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven,' And crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we come humbly to your word again, desiring for it to instruct us so that we can live lives that reflect your grace. That show us how to to go about your mission. That strengthen us in our times of difficulty. And so open your words to us now. Open our eyes so that we can see. Our hearts so that, that we can understand. And help us to live out this text in a way that glorifies you. Strengthen my words, for mine are empty, just a, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be familiar with Saul. Saul. You may be familiar with the story of Saul and the fact that he's also called Paul later in the New Testament. But there's some things that we need to parse out here in Saul's life. Saul was saved on the road to Damascus, and yet, as we read here in chapter 13, he was he didn't have his mission before us uh, before him. Right away. Uh, To to recap, Saul had this life changing experience on the way to Damascus. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader in Judaism. He had a great pedigree, he had a great education, he was extremely zealous, and the reason that he was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 is he was on his way to persecute the early Christian church. He saw this as a, the early Christian church as a heresy, they were proclaiming Christ as Lord, they were proclaiming Christ had risen, and to a good devout Jew, this couldn't stand. Because the the apostles were converting Jews over to their way of thinking. And so Paul was one of the people, or Saul, was one of the people who wanted to put a stop to this. And he saw this as a a service to God. His mission from God. Now he is on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. The scripture tells us that he was on his way to persecute, persecute both men and women. Uh, and so he is, he is there to take out anyone who is willing to speak about Jesus. It's on his way to Damascus that he gets knocked off his horse by none other than the risen Jesus. Kind of an interesting little uh, encounter with Jesus after he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. But Jesus actually shows up in Paul's life and says, What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Now, if you get a voice from heaven saying, Paul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Uh, or if, you, you know, your name, it would be strange if the Lord called you by someone else's name. Um, but if, if the Lord calls you and says, what are you doing persecuting me? And you go, I, I, I didn't think I was. I thought I was helping you, Lord. I'm here to help you. Uh, and Jesus says, I, I'm going to show you who I really am. He has this, this life-altering experience with the risen Jesus. And he is taken up to Damascus, and he is nursed back to health. He's blind, actually, for a small period of time. And uh, a man named Ananias is sent to Paul in order to, to help him understand the faith. And even Ananias, when the Lord the Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias, Ananias says, isn't this the guy who's trying to kill us? And the Lord says, he is my chosen instrument to to carry out the plans that I have for him. And so faithfully, Ananias goes, and this is the start of Paul's relationship with Jesus. He starts out as someone who is persecuting the church And yet, he comes to faith in Jesus through this powerful experience of his personal presence. We talked about that with the risen Jesus after the tomb, with the risen Jesus um, at his ascension. The personal presence of Jesus makes a massive difference in our lives. So how does that story differ from what we encounter here in Acts chapter 13. Well what happens in chapter 9. Is what we would call a conversion story. It tells us how Paul came to faith in Jesus. But chapter 13. Describes how Paul finds out. What his mission is. You know Ananias is to- uh, told. That this is my chosen instrument. To carry out the plans that I have. But Paul isn't let into. That mission conversation quite yet he isn't told exactly what he is supposed to do there's a difference between our conversion and our mission there's a difference between our the 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 moment when we Realize who Jesus Christ is and when Jesus sends us out. Have you ever thought about the difference between your belief in Jesus and your mission from Jesus? Think about that. Have you thought about the difference between your belief in Jesus and your mission from Jesus? You know, faith can give us security. We can find a lot of solace in knowing who Jesus is, but that's different than having purpose, isn't it? Peace is different than purpose. One of the things that we know, and I mentioned this previously, is that that work is something that existed before the fall. We were created for work. We were created to have participation in this world and to have purpose and to have meaning through that. And so, It's no surprise that there is a difference between our belief in Jesus and our mission from Jesus. That Jesus wouldn't save us just to kind of put us on a mantle somewhere and say, you're safe now. But Jesus saves us and brings us to himself so that we can be then sent out on God's mission in this world to participate in that calling with him to give us purpose and meaning, to draw us in. You know, Adam and Eve were there to participate in the creation of the world, the stewardship of the world with God. He gave them stewardship all over the, the, the garden to cultivate it, to steward it, to bring it to life, to create beauty and goodness out of what he had created. And so when we come to redemption, when we come to Jesus on the cross, when we come to our salvation, he does the same thing. He draws us in so that we can come and cultivate and steward the world in redemption. To bring our gifts to bear so that others can know who Jesus is and so that redemption can be brought forth not just by the work of of Jesus, but through us then as well. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission. Last week, we talked about that Great Commission being pushed out into the Gentiles as well. And here we see in Saul that same work being done. He comes to faith in Jesus, and now he finds purpose through that faith in Jesus. What has Jesus Christ called you to do in this world? What's the part of his mission that he has uniquely drawn you into so that his redemption could be known in no other way than through your life experience and through your relationships and through your work and through your gifting. That's the question that we come to here and and we need to see that there is a difference between our faith and then the mission that we are given in the midst of that f- faith. You may say okay. I I hear the difference. I hear that 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 faith is not necessarily the same as my purpose in Christ, but but how do I explore My purpose in Christ. Well, as we pick up in uh, chapter 13, we finally get to today's text. Isn't that impressive? An introduction that gets through its first point without ever touching the text. But we finally get to today's text. And and here's where we see the difference between chapter 9, where Jesus breaks into Saul's situation, and chapter 13. In chapter 9, Saul fi- fig- finds out who he's going to serve. But in chapter 13, Saul figures out how he's going to serve him. And here's how they get there. You notice there are three major components to what is going on. You know, there was a, the church in Antioch, and they are together, and they are worshiping, and they are fasting, and they are praying. It's a key element right there. Before they ever go out, before they are ever a part of the mission of God, they are together worshiping God and seeking God in prayer and in fasting. They have devoted their life to Jesus Christ, and the first place they want to go is not out to the world, but they want to make sure that they are centered in him. We have seen this in the life of Jesus. We see this in the life of saints. We see this in the history of revivals and renewals throughout the world. People who seek Jesus first are then able to go out into mission. If we are confused, if we are unclear, if we don't know what it is that we are supposed to be doing in life, our first uh, movement isn't to go get a life coach. Our first movement isn't to take a skills inventory. But our first movement is towards worship and prayer. That's counterintuitive. We want to take an an assessment. We want to figure this out. But our first place to go is to worship the living God, the one who is the source of all of our gifts. We want to go to the source to find out where it is that we are to go. It's God's mission after all. The second thing that we notice here is that they are a part of a community. There is, we noted in Sunday school, uh, this isn't necessarily uh, obvious if you haven't done the background research, or if you're not familiar with ancient Near East uh, naming conventions. Uh, And how many? No, don't. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas... Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we are looking at someone from Cyprus, someone from Cyrene, someone who was brought up either as a slave or as an an aristocrat in uh, the Middle East, and someone who was brought up in southern Turkey as a Jewish Pharisee. You have... Contained within this group, you have a diversity of geography, you have a diversity of upbringing, you have a diversity of of, um, ethnicity as well. There is a lot that is brought to this table. There is a huge amount of life experience brought to this table in unison in worship of God. So oftentimes when we are talking to someone who is college age or someone who's about to go into college, you know, we're talk, uh, we have been talking about camp a lot, and I counsel the older campers. And the big question every year is, where are you going to college? What are you majoring in? And, and so often these questions are individual questions. You know, questions about what, what, do you, what are you uh, interested in? What do you think would be fun? What do you want to do as a career? And so often these questions are done in isolation. They're doing, done in individual situations. Perhaps they're, they're done in, in school amongst friends, but rarely is the covenant community brought in to help guide one another. Rarely do we ask you, what do you think God is calling you to in life? What are the skills that God has given uniquely gifted you with. To create an introspection that is focused on God. But yet here, we have this community of people and it's within the community of people that the Holy Spirit moves. And they all hear it. Did you notice that? No one is kind of like, I didn't hear anything. What are you talking about, Saul? You know, I don't think that's a good idea, Saul. I think you ought to go over here. But they all hear the calling of the Holy Spirit on Saul and Barnabas. And it's within this community that they find their mission and they find confirmation around them. When we try to figure things out on our own, it can be very anxiety-laden. It can be very nervous. Should I do this? Should I do that? Well, I have gifts in this. I have gifts in this as well. What happens if I get it wrong? Well, I guess I'll just try. And then what can happen is we feel a great amount of pressure then when we go through schooling. You know, I spent four years of my life to do X. What does it mean if I give that up? I thought I had it right. What if I was wrong? what if I just spent $125,000 and made a mistake? That, that's the, the, and they haven't even set a day in the office, a day in the classroom. And without the community, without us being the praying, worshiping, strengthening, encouraging people of God, we can leave that sort of anxiety without even a day of work. It's amazing. And and perhaps we know this, and and perhaps we grew up with it, and we say, well, that's just the way it is. Yet Paul here isn't sent out without the calling of the Holy Spirit in community and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in community. And that same Holy Spirit is at work within us today. When we seek our purpose in Christ, we do that as an act of worship and community discernment. And then the community sends us out. Looking to our gifts and inclinations, that isn't inherently bad. But they need to be aimed towards something. Theologian Frederick Buechner puts it this way, and I think it's a great way to understand it. The place God calls you to Hear that. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Think about that. The place God is calling you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What a transformational understanding of calling that is and how we see it lived out in Saul's life. He is called with his unique gifting, with his mentor in Barnabas. Barnabas is actually older than Saul, understand. And he is sent out in his deep gladness to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, When he encountered by the Lord just knocking him off his horse. Great way to meet someone. Is found, is given purpose in the world's deep hunger to know its creator. Discipleship puts our God-given gifting in service to God's mission where God's Spirit calls us. Perhaps that's to teach Perhaps you have a love of young people and desire to help them mature. There is a great need for that. Perhaps that is in business. You have a, a desire to, to build businesses that, that create work and create purpose for people and help provide services for a world that needs it that is a good thing perhaps your calling is to home your deep love is your family and your your gifting and your service is there and we need people deeply invested in the care and in the formation of family these are just examples but discipleship puts our God-given gifting in service to God's mission where God's Spirit calls us. What do we do then with the inevitable difficulty that comes our way? And this is has a lot to do with Saul's encounter with the citizens of Lystra. You know, <laughs> how do we deal with failure? You know, the story of of Saul in Lystra is not one of phenomenal success. Did you hear that in the story? If you read on, if you read the next few verses, the the crowd gets really fickle. First, they're trying to sacrifice bulls to to Paul and Barnabas, calling them Zeus and Hermes. In the following two verses, they turn on them and stone them, and Paul is dragged half-dead, unconscious, outside the city. That's, that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a shift there. And so the story of Paul and Lystra is the story not of great discipleship and of wonderful example. It is a story of avoiding near... False start on the pastor, five-word penalty. Um, <laughs> but it is a story of avoiding near catastrophe. What a great word to mess up anyway. Paul escapes narrowly. He fails spectacularly. He goes in to evangelize the people of Lystra, and they start. He's here to proclaim Jesus Christ, someone else is Lord and God. And these people say, This is God. Wait, no, 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 time out, time. Wait, that is not my message. And he does it by healing someone. You know, when Jesus healed someone in the Gospels, people were saying, who is this? This is amazing. Paul does it, and, and blasphemy starts happening. And then he tries to correct the crowds, and the crowds don't quite get it, and then they're swayed by some people from, who come from out of town, and they stone Paul. And, and this is a mess. This is not the happy story that you would write for if, to, to tell someone, this is how great the faith is. Look, you too can be stoned and thrown out on the side of a city. Yes, in three easy steps. Just 1995, send it into the church office. No, this is a story that that helps us understand that the life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus, the life of being sent out by Jesus is one in which we will encounter difficulty, one in which we will encounter failure. But failure only as the world sees it. Commissioning doesn't ensure short-term success. This is not health and wealth. This is not prosperity. This isn't if you pray hard enough then you will get the commissioning of God and everything will go right. This is, you will go out and our best ministry intentions, and each one of us is a minister of the gospel. If we believe in Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. But our best ministry will encounter a broken world. And when those two things meet, anything can happen. Anything good and anything bad. Things can go spectacularly well, or things can go spectacularly poorly. But all of it is used by God. And all of it is brought together in his economy to provide for what will happen in the end. In the end, Paul, Paul gets up from being unconscious. <laughs> he gets up, he dusts off his clothes, and he walks back into the city. You read that in the next four verses. And what we read is that a good number of people in Lystra then become believers in Jesus Christ. And this is the area right around the Galatians as well. Out of it, we get the troubles of the church in Galatia. They're going to be thrown off by some people. And so we get one of the books out of the Bible, out of the trouble that's encountered in this area of the world. And think about Paul's near-death experience and how many people the Lord has then used. Not that that near-death experience was good, but then the Lord has then used to transform hearts and minds and to understand suffering and to understand calling and to not give up on discipleship. Our faith is different than our mission and our mission and our commissioning doesn't ensure short term success. See that in, this, in these verses from Saul. See him fail spectacularly, get up and go at it again. Failure is not final, success is not permanent. Faith is found in Jesus' inbreaking into our world. Mission is found in the context of prayer, and commissioning doesn't ensure the short term success. But praise be to God because he is over it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for your calling on our lives. Thank you for breaking into our brokenness and calling us to be your people. Thank you further for giving us purpose by sending us out to participate in your mission. And then thank you finally for being there with us when things don't go well. You have all understand the difficulty of our world. And you have promised to be with us to the very end. Help us to incorporate that, that in our lives so that we may be people of strength and resilience, clinging deeply to the power of your Holy Spirit wherever we go. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.